All right, well, we want to move on to the third book now of the Pentateuch. That's how it's, uh, the first five books are referred to as the Pentateuch. And this one lies right in the midst of them, right in the midst of the first five. In Genesis, of course, we talked about the uh, the fall of man. There were four main events or that uh, that dominated the book. First one certainly was creation. The next one was the fall of man. And uh, the third one was the flood. And then, of course, the Tower of Babel. And, uh, and, and yet we find in that the book of Exodus was about the departure, if you will, out of the house of bondage. And they were born of blood and of power. In other words, they were delivered by blood and by power. Uh, from the from the clutches of Pharaoh, a type of the devil, if you will, and uh, and redeemed at that point, and and brought out, and then now they are the our, our setting for this book is going to be about well, all right, so so we've been redeemed, so now what do we do? Well, now we're going to walk with God, and uh, and s- uh, several things have changed for them, and so let's look at that. Let's go to the book of Leviticus. And go to chapter 1 with me. It's in this book that, that they're going to learn how to walk with God in order to maintain their fellowship. And fellowship is so important. It was important to them, just like how it's important to us. And what we're going to see in here pictures a lot of the things that we enjoy today as New Testament believers. Do you remember what was the last thing I said before I prayed? I said it was an old statement that's, it, it's a, I, it's not original. I didn't think it up, and uh, but somebody thought it up before I did. And it had to do with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do you remember? I said the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Concealed means it's hidden, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, and that's what we're seeing here in this. Uh, in these passages, and so um, and and so, I've asked you to come to this third book, and and so writ also written by Moses, and the word Leviticus is of a of a Latin and Greek background, but it has to do with things that pertain to the Levites, and the Levites they're going to have that priesthood, if you will, they're going to be involved with that, and uh, and so. You're going to see some things about them, things that are given to them and so forth, responsibilities and duties and the like. And so these things are going to be outlined for us over the next couple of books in the book of Leviticus and then the book of Numbers. All right. And so instead of going right away to the, to the, I asked you to go to Leviticus. Now I want you to go left and go to the book of Exodus with me. All right. Go to Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, right before the giving of the law. And uh, the Lord is up on the mountain, all right, and um, and so he's going to he's going to make a request here of Moses to go up there, and uh, and so notice what verse twenty one says, Exodus nineteen verse twenty one. He gets up there, and uh, while he's there, man, the mount uh, Mount Sinai, man, it's smoking and thundering. I mean, it's kind of a it's you know. These people were afraid, and rightly so. I mean, if you were below, 
If you were living in the city of Pompeii and you saw the mountain smoking and rumbling and earthquakes, you know, you might take note of that. Would you not? Uh, how, how many of y'all been in an earthquake? Ra- ra- come on, raise your hand if you've been in an earthquake. A, a trip? Well, it, it still constitutes an earthquake. Where were you when it happened? South Man, that's an unusual place. That they had one back then in South Carolina. Wow. I didn't really think about South Carolina being a part of the ring of fire, so to speak. And, and where was your, in Kentucky? In Indiana. I can understand why that's going down. No, no. It was what? Yeah, well, you know, there's one in New Madrid in Missouri. You know, there was a time when they had an earthquake and the Mississippi River ran south to north. Did you know that? But anyway, I've been in several in, in Alaska, and they do sort of make you perk up a little bit. We had them there, you know, and they might have 100 a day in Alaska, these tremors. And those are all uh, intended to kind of take the pressure off from the big one. And, um, but we had light guns in the tower, and so we, would, we wouldn't... The, our tower had a 10-foot sway factor, 5 feet in that direction five feet in this direction we were 110 feet high and uh and so that it was designed to built with earthquakes in mind and so because of that stabilizing effect that it had you wouldn't really notice it except you'd look up and the light guns were swinging and so when the light guns were swinging we knew we were having one you know because we couldn't feel it in the tower. But down on the ground, you could certainly feel it. In the house, shook the cabinets and the dishes, made the house raise up, and then sounded like a sonic boom when the earth came back down. You know, we went up, the house moved like you take an empty carton of uh, Cheerios or whatever. That's just how, I mean, powerful, powerful. And so it, it makes people go out on their front porches and look around. What does it do? It's made them afraid. And so on this mount, I said all that to say, to say this, that man, that mountain is smoking and rumbling and things are going on. Of course the people are afraid. All right? They are fearful. And, uh, and so they get out there and so, and then look at, look at verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by voice. Man, that would be, I mean, they heard the voice of God. They could hear it. All right? And, uh, And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. I bet he did. (laughs) All right? I bet he did. There was a lot going on. Business was picking up. All right? And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through under the, lest they break through under the Lord to gaze, and many of them, what? Perish. Perish. And so there, God kept people at a distance. What happened, if, if you read through the book of Exodus, you're really, what happened if, a, if an animal got up there, if a beast got up near that mountain, what happened to it? They killed it. They killed it. I mean, God kept them at arm's length. There was a distance between them. And there's a reason for that, all right? Now, the law hadn't been given here, anything like that. And yet we know that death still reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Death still reigned. Why? Because men were still sinful and so forth, yet there was no law. 
And, uh, and so we know that according to Romans 5 and 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all had sinned. All right, y'all with me? All right, so death was still reigning between that time. Folks were still dying in between that time. And God was keeping them at a distance. Why? He was a holy God, a holy God. And, uh, and so now, in this, they, ha- they have this new position, if you will. They're in a new position today. Now, this is going to be after this, after this particular event. They're in a new position that takes place, all right? And so uh, God had spoken to them from Mount Sinai in those days. He was distant from them. There were boundaries, definite boundaries. And, and it, why? Because it was a holy God speaking to sinful men. That, that's why heaven, we say oftentimes, you know, Brother Rogers said it, uh, you know, heaven is a gated community. Not everyone who dies goes to heaven when they die. Why is that? Because their sin debt, their problem, has, their sin problem has not been dealt with. And, uh, and so, you know, you, you have to have, you have to have the blood of Christ just as much as they had to have the blood over the lintels and doorpost to be spared so that God, when he sees the blood, he would pass over them. Right? And so, when folks die today, you still have to have the blood of Christ that's been put on your account. And so, uh, because, you know, the blood of bulls and goats, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so they were kept at a distance. But now, now they have been delivered by blood and by power, all right? They're receiving the law, and now God, what did they say? Moses, everything that the Lord hath said, we will what? We're going to do. And then they, they emphasized it again, said, we're going to do and be obedient. They added a little extra measure on their little lanyap, all right? Try to convince the Lord. And so what did he do? Right away, he brings Moses up in Exodus 25 and brings him up on the mountain to give them, to give him the blueprint, if you will, and all the instructions for the, for the erection of the tabernacle, for the building of the tabernacle. Why? Because that was going to be the means because God knew that they couldn't do what was in the law. They just didn't know it. And so he wants to have fellowship. Just like he was wanting to have fellowship in the garden and he had it for a time. Adam sinned and they fell. But to have that restored, the innocent had to die for the guilty. And so those coats of skins were made and they were able to fellowship. God was able to fellowship with him. And so the Lord wants fellowship with us today. He wanted it with them back then. And the only way that he could do that was through the construction of this tabernacle. And everything and all the parts, all the, all the furniture, all the linens and the sockets and the, and the boards covered with gold and the candlestick and the, I mean, the table of showbread and the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant that's going to have the tablets in it. It's going to have Aaron's rod that budded. It's going to have the pot of manna that's going to be coming along. All those things are going to be there. And all of that was necessary if they were going to maintain fellowship with God. And, uh, and so that's what, that's what, this book of Leviticus is going to be about. 
and the maintaining of their fellowship with him as they proceeded on to the land of Canaan. And so he had been distant. There were definite boundaries. God, it's a holy God speaking to sinful men. And it wrought fear in their hearts. That's why they even said Moses, after all they said, Moses, hey, how about this? You, you talk to God and, uh, and then you come tell us what he said, all right? And, and you know, isn't it a blessing today that we don't have to have a priest? That we don't have to have, we don't have to have another mediator. We have the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator. And how are we supposed to go to the throne of grace according to the book of Hebrews? Boldly. They weren't feeling too bold on that day at Mount Sinai. All right. They were staying away to stay away. And so, and so business is going to change. And so it meant instant death if they came too close. And so the relationship had not been settled yet. All right. So that was their past. Let's talk about the present. Now go to Leviticus with me. Leviticus chapter one. And, uh, and let's, let's look at that. And right away, God is going to speak to them. He spoke to them from the mountain at a distance. And now he's going to speak to them from the door of the tabernacle. All right. And so this has been constructed and so forth. And uh, and so I want you to, something that I gave you is look on page 13. It's the last page of your handout. The last page. And you're going to notice at the bottom, I have a little, a little diagram down there. It says, the distribution of the camp of Israel. You know, our God is a God of order. Amen. And, uh, and so he had things put in place at that very time uh, as to how they were to be situated. Now, we'll talk about this in the book of Numbers. That's where this comes from. I just put this here to show you when I say that God wanted to be in the midst of his people to have fellowship, where is the tabernacle oriented here? It's in the center. It's in the center. Why do you think they call the... Do you know what the word Mediterranean means? What, sister? Right? All right. And so it literally it means navel. Now, not like the navy, but like your belly button. That's in the middle of the land. Some of us have more land than others. All right? <laughs> and so... Uh, some of us live in the plains and some of us live on mountains, all right? And, uh, but it mean, it means it is. It, and so what, so why is it called the, that, that region of Palestine? What's, what's the word for it they use in the news all the time? The middle what? Middle East. And where does he want to be? He wants to be right in the middle of his people. Right in the middle. That, listen, this doesn't just happen because let's just go over there. No. God has a purpose, beloved, in everything that he does. And that includes what he has for us to do and what he wants us to be. God has a purpose in that. And so what I wanted you to see, this is how things were set up on his father-son camp out. This is how the Lord has his set up. Amen. And uh, and those tribes are around there. We'll talk about that. But I just put that diagram on there to illustrate for you that he really does want to be in the midst of his people because he really does want fellowship. And never forget that. That's the, that's the number one number one reason, if you will, that he saved us. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but I, I think the number one reason, the bottom line is he wants fellowship. 
Do you enjoy fellowshipping with your children? Even when they get older? And then, man, the, the, the ones that come after that, the grandchildren, do you enjoy fellowshipping with them? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was talking to Paul. It was back here a little while, back a few days. And I said, Paul, I said, uh, you were born in Texas, weren't you? He said, no, Grandpa. He, and Paul's like seven. No, Grandpa, I wasn't. I said, Paul, you were born in Texas, weren't you? He said, no, Grandpa, I was born in the bathroom. So, you know, I mean, I mean, don't you just love to fellowship with your grandchildren? Amen. Oh, you got it coming, buddy. <laughs> you do. You do. And uh, and so, uh, man, it, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. We enjoy that fellowship. Well, God enjoys that time. Your heavenly Father. See, it wasn't, he wasn't referred to as Father back here. The Lord Jesus introduced us to that, but it was just God. God, you know? And I, I'm going to say, and that's the way the Catholic Church presents him. It, that's what Gnosticism is. G-N-O-S-T-I-S-M, uh, Gnosticism, C-I-S-I-S-M, Gnosticism. The Gnostics said that God was, I mean, he is holy, but he was so holy he couldn't even look upon the earth. They want to say that angels created the, the heavens and the earth and all. That's a lie. That is a lie. And so they keep God at bay, and that's why you have to have a priest, and you've got to have the saints, and you certainly got to have Mary, and you've got to have the rosary, and you've got to have all these things. You've got to have, light a candle or two or ten or a dozen or whatever to be able to get through. And, beloved, that's not how it is. And it's hurtful, you know, when you think about Lord Jesus said in the New Testament, in vain they do worship me. And these are well-intentioned people, a lot of them good-intentioned people that really want help and really want healing and really want some hope. And they practice a lie. That's a shame. That is a shame. And so I say that all the more reason for us to get the gospel out, amen, for people to have the truth. And so in their past, that's how it was. And so they're present now. God speaks to them from the door of that tabernacle. Look in Leviticus, look in verse 1. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. And so God knew that they couldn't keep those commandments, he couldn't, they couldn't keep those, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, that they couldn't keep them. Remember, four of them are God-word. The other six are all man-word, having to do with his relationship in this direction, the God-word ones, and then the man-word ones, the ones down on this level, the horizontal level. And so he knew that they couldn't. And so just like, just like Adam and Eve, did they get a pass? For what happened? No, they didn't. They didn't get a pass. And, and, and so, so too, no Israelite, no, no Hebrew boy is going to get a pass. The debt, the sin debt, because of God's holiness and righteousness. I mean, he couldn't be God, and he is without partiality. He, he couldn't say, if we were living back then, he couldn't say of, of David, well, he can because I really like that name, and, and Lauren can't get away with it. 
He would be, that would be partiality. That, that would be something, if you will, of a human nature that would be subject to flaws and so forth. But that's not how God is. And so he is just in his dealings. And so he, he, he is forthright in those things. And so our, our sin doesn't get looked over. It was paid for. It was paid for. But in, but in the Old Testament economy, this was the only way that they had to hold back the judgment of God. Because, you know, and, and we know this. I mean, I, I think you know this, uh, that, that, that the blood of bulls and goats, of which that's going to be introduced right here, could not take away sin. And so all this is going to do in this, in this economy, the tabernacle economy, all it's going to do is hold back temporarily the payment. The once and for all payment for that sin. And all this would do would take care of that individual. And God had something for everybody at their level so that he could fellowship with everybody in the camp. All right, let's, let's look at this, all right? Look, look in verse 3. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle, the congregation before the Lord, and he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And verse 5, and he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priests and the sons. So he's going to start off here with a bullock. And then if you get over here, if you look in, uh, if you look in, uh, verse 10, and if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats. So a bullock, that, that was a pretty nice calf. That was a little bull that was going to be offered. And, uh, and and probably somebody that had a little more means, that's what they were supposed to bring. If they could afford that, that's what they were supposed to bring. And then he had something, if you will, for the middle class, and that was that that man. That was probably most of them, brother. They mo- mostly had lambs. Remember, they were shepherds, and they were offensive to the Egyptians, and they went out with their flock. That's what they probably had the most of was was lambs. And then, if, and then, if they didn't have that, maybe that wasn't their thing. Maybe they weren't a shepherd. They were one of the craftsmen that could carve a name or had some other craft or skill. Maybe all they had now was meal, and they'd have to bring a meal of it. It's referred to when you read it. It's called a meat offering, but that's not that's not the kind of m e a t that you think of when you open your freezer or refrigerator door and you get out a lamb chop, all right? That's, that's, um, that was a fine flour. It had to be given like that. And, uh, and, or, or, the, or the meat offering was something else. It was, it was something that was baked and it was something unleavened. It couldn't have any leaven in it because that, that, what, what is leaven, ladies? What, it's what? Well, it comes from yeast. That's the byproduct of yeast. And so what does that do? It, it makes it what, sister? Makes it rise because you got little critters in there, right? And those little critters, they off-gas. You're probably not going to go home and eat any bread anymore. They off-gas, and that's what puts the lovely little holes in there. That's how, why do you think Swiss cheese gets those holes? And it's so good. All right, 
Well, what do you think honey is? That's bee barf. <laughs> it is, sister. She went, no, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's bee barf. Man, yeah, it's good stuff. All right. And, uh, but leaven, leaven was a picture, uh, if you will, uh, of the uncleanness of sin. And so there was something for everybody on their economy, whatever they could afford. If that's all they had, they brought it. God gladly accepted it. Why? Because He wanted fellowship with them. He wants fellowship with them and with us. And, uh, and, so, and so now their relationship to God has changed. Fellowship has replaced judgment. You got too close to the mountain? Wham! They didn't ask any questions. That was just judgment. You know, when the cop's writing the ticket, that's just judgment. <laughs> that's all that is. But, uh, but now their relationship has changed. It's now fellowship. Now fellowship. All right? And so God is in the midst of them. He and they have been brought nigh to each other. And he no longer speaks to them, if you will, as unto sinners distanced from him. Now they're, now they can be nearer because of these things. And so he knows they're going to mess up, just like he knew what we were going to be and how we were going to be, even before we got saved. He, when he bought us, he bought us lock, stock, and barrel. I mean everything. With our weaknesses and our strengths, our inclinations. All that. And so what's the purpose of this? So they have this new, they have this new position. Well, here in, in this, they have a past and they have the present. All right. But there's a purpose in this. And the purpose of that is Israel needs to learn how to live as a holy nation. And isn't that the journey that we've been on? What do we call that today? What do we call that? After salvation comes sanctification, my brother. That's exactly right. And what are we doing? We're learning how to live that life. Not under the law, but under grace, being led by the Spirit of God according to the Word of God. And we're learning how to, we're learning how to be holy as He is holy. You know, it doesn't mean that we don't ever sin anymore. It doesn't mean that we're sinless, but we ought to sin less. Okay? And so, and so that was what was also there for them. And, and so now they, they needed to see, and, and here, and here's the, here's the main emphasis. They needed to see the seriousness of sin. And it needs to be that way for us as well. You think about it. What all had to happen in order to maintain their fellowship? What all had to take place? All that had to... I mean, when you go back and you look from... If you go back and look from Exodus chapter 25 and work your way forward 
through that and you start getting into all the little intricacies of how big this is supposed to be and the candlestick and it's got to have flowers on it and knots on it and it's got to be this way it's a beaten and it's got to be done a certain way and the showbread's got to be the recipe's got to be a certain way and the incense and man all this stuff for sanctifying all that's got to be a myrrh it's got to be a this I mean the Lord is very detail oriented it wasn't just hey Slap some boards together and, I mean, he wasn't cleaning fish. <laughs> you understand? And uh, he was trying to clean up those people and take care of their sin. And look, look at, at the complexity of all that is in that tabernacle. All the coverings with all the colors and all the materials. Some was silver, some was gold, some was brass. Some were like mirrors, you know, then it was burnished brass, it was polished and so forth, and all these things, and on all those sockets so that that, those boards and that gold, none of that could touch the ground. Because remember, what was cursed, the, the ground was cursed as well, was it not, because of the fall? All that has been raised up and put on these sockets of, of silver uh, brother Mike, and man, I mean that whole thing like that, all sitting up with all that linen stretched and, and all these things and all done a certain way <clears throat> and that fire put on there and that fire burned all the time and then the clothing that they had to have and, and, and what the ephod was made of. You know, they had to have a Urim and a Thummim and they had to have 12 stones, one for each tribe and put all that on there. And he had to have, it was purple and it had to have a pomegranate and a bell around the bottom of the high priest's garment. You know, that was so that they could hear something and so they could see something. The fruit represented something that they could see. The bell was something that they could hear, kind of like... Our lives, how we are, we're the priests now of our homes and so now there's something for people to hear from us and there ought to be some things that people can see about us. If you will, in our high priestly role. I'm not talking about that we put on the garments like that, but I'm talking about in our daily living. So in other words, that the, that the tongue in my mouth matches the tongue in my shoe, my talk and my walk are together and not in conflict with each other. This is how part of how we witness. So, I mean, when you think about it, and God had all that done, for what purpose? Just to deal with sin. It just doesn't, I mean, I know it did on the day you got saved. If you were like me, I'm, I knew I was a lost man, and I trusted the Lord as my Savior. I knew I couldn't save myself. And, and I, I knew I was sorry and, and, and low down. I knew that. But I didn't realize how sorry and low down I was until after I got saved. And I started coming to the house of God. And man, he was putting his finger on that. And that's got to change. And you've got to stop that. And you'd start this. And, uh, you know, and the, how, how you think about your wife and how you talk to your kids. And I, I mean, you know, it's like kind of like, you know, the, the, the book of, we'll go there. Go to the book of Ephesians. And look in in Ephesians chapter 5. 
Look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And why? What was the purpose in that? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the wa- of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So, on the day you got saved, that took care of the spots. But ever since then, he's been trying to work out them wrinkles. So you might have been washed, but are you being ironed? <laughs> are you cooperating? And isn't it true, aren't some garments harder to iron than others? Aren't they? I mean, y'all still do that, right, ladies? Y'all still iron. They're, they're harder to iron, you know, and you've got, you have other tools now, right? You got that thing, man, that'll scald you, the steamer, you hang it up, you know, makes, fogs the bathroom and everything, puts water droplets on my shirt and stuff like that, gets all that stuff out. And so, yeah, some of y'all, so you get the jab, I saw that, brother. And why are they doing that? They're trying to take out your wrinkles, brother Johnny, that's why. And, uh. And and that's what that's what's happening. That's what sanctification is. He's got the spots out. Now he's trying to get the wrinkles out. And buddy, we got wrinkles. We have wrinkles. All right. And so, the scripture says in the book of Proverbs that fools make a mock at sin. And and there are people that just, they don't think anything about it. They make fun of it. To them, it's a sport to see what they can do, how much trouble they can get into, or cause, or whatever, and uh, how vile and vulgar they can be, and then want to brag about it when they come back to work or whatever, and tell of their escapades and the like. And they just don't know that they're treasuring up wrath. Because all that's going to be paid for. It's going to be paid for. And so... They needed to see the seriousness of sin. And all that was done because they, like us, they sin, even though we've been saved. And so that tabernacle there is really a picture of grace. It's not a total grace like what we have today in that, in that I don't have to keep, if you will, going back with the lamb, but I mean... But I, I still can go back in 1 John 1, 9 and walk with the Lord and so forth. In other words, Jesus doesn't have to be crucified again for me because all of my sins, all past, present, and future have all been paid for. All paid for. And, uh, and so <clears throat> they didn't have that. So when they fouled up, they had to go back with a lamb and a lamb and a lamb or a bullock or bring some flour, fine flour. And so, you know, some baked good, unleavened bread had to bring that. And so it, it became it became a continuous thing, and that fire on the altar never went out unless they were traveling. That fire never went out. Why? Because the priest's job was never done. Because they're, you know, they. Uh, I'm trying to think at the hospital. Do, do you all have do you have boards up? I I know that you have boards with patience and things like that. I know you have that. So I'm, I'm talking to Sister Abby back here. But 
Well, I know you have a whiteboard that talks about like who's going to be, who's charge nurse and who's got so many, which, which rooms have you got on the floor or whatever. But, uh, there in the ER, there's a, there's a board and, um, and it's like, okay, they just had somebody walk in. He got registered. The time that he sat in the chair out in the waiting room, the doc, then he gets in here. He's got a treatment room. Vitals were taken. And they, I mean, because everything is about all this metrics, right? All the data. Don't they, they record all that data and they keep up and they tell you what your percentages is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like a meat factory. You think they don't care about how long you sit in the waiting room, but they actually do. Okay, because there's somebody back there cracking a whip on them it's just you're not sick enough to get in there first you all think you are but we're not all right and uh, and so but they called it what they called it there was a name for it what was that they called it a sparkle that they were something sparkle do you do you have a running board. Well, that, anyway, that but the significance of the sparkle was there wasn't anybody in the waiting room of the ER, and so that was a big deal. They had hit sparkle, you know, that there was nobody else out there waiting to come in, and uh, and so, but that was never going to happen for the priest. That was never going to happen for the priest because the line never quit. I mean, it was always there, and uh, and so. They needed to know, they needed instruction on divine character about how God thought, what He wanted them to do, the conduct as being God's people. How does He want you to represent the kingdom, right? We're ambassadors for Christ. How would we represent Him? And then, and then they needed to know the consequences of disobedience. And there were consequences. And again, man, the, the innocent died for the guilty. He'd have to put his hand on there. And so Israel needed to learn how to maintain their fellowship with the Holy God. And their relationship now was never in question. As you go through this book, never in question, all right? And, uh, and, the, and the question is a matter of fellowship and its restoration when broken by sin. And so that's what the, that's what the book, in part, is what the book of Leviticus is about. So... Um, so I'm not going to go any further, and I, I just want to enter, I just want to point out to you something in the structure here. You've got some sweet savor offerings, and then you've got some non-sweet savor offerings, and uh, and so the way that these things work, and then of course you have these feast days, and like the feast of tabernacles, and the day of atonement, and and uh, and so forth, and these things. But but the, but the significance of this is all of these things are all reflections on something or, if you will, on one aspect or another of what Christ did for us at Calvary. And the things that are ours that we received. That's, that's why the, you know, the, the scripture says in the book of Ephesians, where you are, go to Ephesians 1. You're right there in 5. Go to, go to Ephesians 1. And I'm going to end with this. All that that all that that tabernacle required, all the intricacies and all the needlework, and I mean, you think about the veil that was in there. 
And all, all, I mean, how heavy that was. And somebody had to sew that. You know, all, all that had, was all done just so we could be made acceptable. Just so they could be made acceptable. And that word accepted or acceptable simply means to be made pleasing. It took the death of someone else to make us pleasing to God. And that's what it did for them. So so notice what it says. Look in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. That's in Christ. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And he has shared those things with us. Now watch. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Look at verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now the difference between us and them has to do with there were more physical things for them to see and to hear and to know about, to see the works of God. I mean, even, even, even going through the wilderness, the, their clothes didn't go bad. Their shoes didn't wear out. They had water. They had fresh water. They had the manna. I mean, they, had, they were supplied. And, and God took care of them and all those things, all those physical manifestations that they saw. Whereas we on the other side in the church, we don't have a lot of the physical things today. The days of the signs and wonders and so forth of that are, are basically over for us. Now we have the scriptures and our promises are not earthly ones as the church. Ours are heavenly ones. Ours are spiritual blessings that we have. And we haven't even, we haven't even I don't think we haven't even touched the hem of the garment, so to speak, the tip of the iceberg. I wasn't trying to be clever there. I'm just saying we, we haven't seen everything yet, that everything that was entailed in our salvation and what we have today. And what is yet to be revealed for us. And so, um, and so here, take away from this, just this, the setting of this book is all the trouble and, and effort that God brought about so he could have fellowship. And you think about what it cost him to pay the ultimate price, not only for them, which is what happened when Jesus died. That debt was paid. That's why, this is the reason why when, when men like Lazarus, remember the, the beggar named Lazarus there in Luke 16, the beggar Lazarus, when he died, where did he go? He went to Abraham's bosom. He didn't go directly to heaven. Jesus said, thou shalt be with me today in paradise. Well, that was the name for it. That was paradise. And uh, Abraham's bosom had a few names. And so that's why he went there. When they say they slept with their fathers, where'd they go? They went there. And, And why did they go there? Because the debt hadn't been paid. The blood of bulls and goats was only a temporary fix. And so if they died in that faith like that, that's where they went because it hadn't been paid for. 
But when Jesus Christ died, oh, that's why he could check out with the keys, brother. That's why he could take them with him because he paid for it all. And there, that's why Hebrews 12 talks about the spirits of just men made perfect. They were made perfect because Christ died and paid that debt. That's why they could exit out. And that's, that's why he led captivity. They were in captivity because the debt hadn't been paid. The devil still had a little bit of something on them. Why? Because the debt hadn't been paid. He led captivity captive and out they went. And that's why now we know that caught up into paradise, the third heaven, that's the abode of God. You know, you got the heaven here where the birds and planes fly. Then you got the celestial where the sun, moon, and stars are. That's the second heaven. Third heaven is where God abides. And that's where they went. He led captivity captive. And all that was paid for. And all this was just the preliminary things that were done so that they could have fellowship. And beloved, what access we have. And we don't have to stand in line. I don't have to have a priest. I can go there myself. I don't have to have some dead person do it for me because we don't serve a God that's dead. He's the God of the living. And He's alive. And so, man, we have so much. Again, this is the New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. All these little shadows of things would be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Any question? All right, well, then we, we'll be dismissed. I'll get you out of here better than I did last week, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, I sure do thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for your precious word. May our faith increase, Lord, as we see your good hand and understand your ways and the desire of your heart to love on us and to love us and to fellowship with us. I pray, Lord, you'll make us thirsty for your touch and presence in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.